Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And of course, we're here every Thursday night to bring, to bring biblical truths to polygamists. Of course, we do know that Mormon culture demands polygamy for those who desire to dwell in the celestial kingdom. But God says that those who go to his heaven will dwell with him, not with celestial families or with multiple spouses. And we do know that God's way is always the best way. And also a reminder, as we discuss issues on our show tonight, please remember that we are dealing with both polygamist and Mormon doctrine. Polygamists use the same scriptures and they believe and teach the same basic foundational doctrines as the mainline Mormon church believes and teaches. They embrace Joseph Smith and the other Mormon polygamist leaderships as much or more as the mainstream church, and they follow Smith's teachings probably more closely than the mainstream Mormons do. In fact, if the Mormon fundamentalists are wrong today, then the original Mormon church was wrong from its very first day, because the polygamists follow the early original doctrines as if they were commanded yesterday. Tonight's show, we are interviewing a former Mormon bishop and high priest and his wife, whose exit from the LDS Church was directly attributed to their discovery of Joseph Smith's polygamy and his wife swapping. We pre-recorded our show tonight because we needed a full hour to discuss, even more than the hour, uh, to get all the information we can in this discussion. And that means, of course, that we do not have a live telephone call-in portion on our show tonight that we normally have. If anyone has questions or comments that they would like to ask or make, you can always email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we will respond to your questions or comments. After intense study of Mormon church records and, and their questionable teachings, former Mormon bishop and high priest Lee Baker and his wife Kathy started asking questions, and they were immediately warned against asking those questions at the risk of their membership. His first-hand experiences and insight into the authentic teachings and practices of Mormonism are recorded in a book he wrote entitled, Mormonism, A Life Under False Pretenses. In this book, Lee Baker gives details that he discovered about the religious deceit and ongoing deception of Mormonism from 1830 to the present to talk about their concerns about Mormon polygamy and the difficulties they experienced in getting answers and eventually leaving Mormonism, I would like to welcome to our show tonight and introduce Lee and Kathy Baker. It's great to be here. Appreciate you Thank you, you for coming. Yes, thank you for inviting us. And it's such, such short notice that you were so willing to come, and I want you to know how much we appreciate that as well. Well, well we appreciate your outreach. And any opportunity we have to, to join it would be great. And, and to, to talk about truth in this culture, it's, it's a, a great opportunity and privilege from God that He's given us to do. Uh, we, this culture didn't get to hear the other side of the, the voice right. for so many 
decades, yes. and now God's given us that opportunity. So let's talk about your book, Mormonism, A Life Under False Pretenses. Um, when was your book published, and, and how can your viewers get a copy of it? Uh, 2010 it was published, and it's on Amazon, or a slightly reduced price at fatherspress.com. Fatherspress.com? Yes, and it was, it was really written for our family. Uh, it has 312 footnotes that are directly out of church references mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure that every statement, every action, every record or comment that I make would be backed up through scripture or through Mormon documents mm -hmm. and Mormon teaching. Mm -hmm. So there's no opinion yeah. uh, that is not referenced out completely. And I noticed that when I was going through the book that you had an amazing amount of footnotes, which is wonderful. I know on our show, whenever we quote or bring up points, we always document uh, where we get the quote, and people call us anti-Mormon, and yet we're quoting Mormon doctrine Correct. or the Bible, and I guess that Mormon, Mormonism must be anti-Mormon because that's what we're quoting. I'm sure your motivation <coughs> for, excuse me, for writing your book has been misunderstood by many people, as it can be expected, but why did you write your book? Well, I felt that after we came to understand the true doctrine of the Mormon Church through reading the Doctrine and Covenants and the history of the Church, that the Lord had put us in the Mormon Church for 32 years to train us to witness to His true gospel, because I really felt on behalf of the Lord that He would be offended for those who teach doctrine that are so contrary to the Bible, that what? is so contrary to His character, to His nature, and to His teachings. Mm -hmm. And as I began to study and learn more and more and more each year as a high priest, when Joseph Smith was used to, as the example above and beyond Christ, then I knew that something had to be wrong. And the, the details of polygamy and polandry mm -hmm. is really what broke our back mm -hmm. once we really mm -hmm. understood that, that that particular teaching had only been suspended not done away with right, at all. Right. And so uh -huh. looking forward to that was not good. Yeah, that absolutely. It, that it would return in heaven. And it's going to return yes. on, on earth or in or and and, and in, in heaven. And in heaven. Yes. So yes. even though it's been suspended here on the earth, it will return in heaven mm -hmm. when you have your own worlds. Mm -hmm. Right. That, and that's what we were taught. That yes. we were taught that but being raised in a polygamy group, that's exactly what we were taught. So were you born and raised or were you converts into the church? I was a convert. I met and fell in love with my wife when she was only 14 years old. Ooh. Yes, I grew up a little Catholic boy. <laughs> and uh, she uh, was Mormon at the time. And I took all the missionary discussions. And it continued after we got married. So I went through 16 pairs of missionaries mm -hmm. in two and a half years. Wow. And thought I really did a good job of answer, asking all the right questions. Uh, but then again, like we, we mentioned in the book, you don't know what you don't you know. You don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, that so was a good comment. There was just a, a, a whole new world out there. But we love the Mormon people. Uh, the culture of the Mormons uh, was very uh, um, appealing mm -hmm. for a family-centered life. It is. That's Moral, absolutely high true. standard, but as a church doctrine. Uh, when we came to that, in fact, a lot of people have asked us, when did we come to the Lord? And we have always felt we never left Him. <laughs> when we realized that the doctrine of the Mormon church had left what we knew Christ to be, that's when we had to separate ourselves from the church. When you recognize that, Absolutely. that that's yes. the way it was. So, let, for our viewers' information, um, you you didn't get mad and leave because somebody hurt your feelings. You had callings. You you worked. You were dedicated oh, members. Absolutely. We gave 200%, <laughs> yes. And my family, they joined when I was four years old, and then I converted Lee, and we gave it 200%. 
All the way. All the way. All the way. I was in Relief Society presidencies, primary president, young women's presidencies, um, always and callings to be over mm -hmm. because I believed. I believed that it was the only true church mm -hmm. on the earth. I was taught well <laughs> and um, I believed it wholeheartedly. And you, your callings oh. were high priesthood and bishop? Yes, and even as an ordained uh, uh, bishop, uh, in our last ward when we were working with the stake president in the Arvada, Colorado stake, I was his son's Sunday school teacher as well as half of the high council there. So we were very active and trusted members. So it wasn't like we were disaffected or hurt and then decided to throw stones at the church. Yeah. All the questions, all the research that we did was kept private between us and the bishop and us and the stake president. No one in the ward was ever offended by our questions because they didn't know. Because they didn't know. Had mm -hmm. no idea that we were, uh, because we didn't want to offend the people, but we yeah. wanted to know the truth. Mm -hmm. And really, Doris, what was interesting, as the high leadership of the church, to include Salt Lake City, as they rebuffed me, over and over, and I would explain that to Kathy. Uh, the Lord touched my heart and in such a way that I knew that Kathy would not understand the level of deceit until she saw it personally. Mm -hmm. So then I stopped going to these meetings by myself and I invited my wife. Mm. And that's really what wow, turned yes. the tide. Oh, wow. That, that's good strategy. Well, and, and that's really the only honest way to do it. It really the, is. The, uh, the genuine way to, to, for you to find right. the truth. Because exactly. when he would come home and tell me the counsel that he was receiving for asking questions, they were saying, "Why you just need to have faith, Brother Baker. And whatever the prophet did or said was of God. Mm. And I said, well, Lee. And that's the problem yeah. we're going to get into. And he said, mm -hmm. you need to come with me and see how these men treat you. Mm. And they brought me to tears. Mm. When I would ask questions, they would bring me to tears saying, he has the keys. The bishop has the keys. And you need to listen to him. And, and the prophet had the keys. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the keys of the priesthood. Not about Jesus right. Christ. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Not about. That's the way it is. Right. Having mm -hmm. faith in Jesus Christ, but having faith in a man mm -hmm. and trusting in a prophet. <laughs> And then man's works, exactly. Yes. So you discovered some bothersome doctrines, which is what we've just been talking about. And many of them are specific to the mainline LDS church, but many are about polygamy and polyandry and blood atonement, lying for the Lord, all of which this show is more interested in the polygamy, original mm -hmm. Mormon doctrines mm -hmm. in that regard. Beginning with Joseph Smith, Mormon leaders have been you discovered this as well as any of us, anybody who has checked it out. They have been dishonest. They've been guilty of deceit, of lying for the Lord, of adultery, and many, many other indiscretions. And yet members will ignore the indiscretions of their leadership. The members believe and argue that the things the leadership did, just like you said, were okay. He was a prophet. It was okay. Why is that? And would you give us an example of gross indiscretion, in, indiscretions by early Mormon leadership that particularly bothered you uh, but are accepted without question by the membership today? Oh, absolutely. One great example is when I finally understood the details and the horror of polygamy and palandry, I challenged our stake president at the time, Michael Jones of the uh, state presidency there in Colorado. I said, would you live next door to, would you be a social friend to someone like Joseph Smith who uh, uh, proposed marriage to women when they're 
husbands were out of town or on a mission or on assignment, like William Law, a lot of mm -hmm. people don't understand that. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. So we spoke specifically about Doctrine and Covenants section 101, uh, 101 in the 1835 version of the Doctrine and Covenants, which said they did not practice polygamy, mm -hmm. which I found absolutely amazing that that was in print from 1835 to 1876. Uh, mm -hmm. And then afterwards, when we discussed the 132nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, that wasn't printed until 1876, uh, he said that is accurate. And I said, well, okay, if that is accurate, why then would the Mormon community, and it's really a spooky thing to watch the Mormon community or an individual work in such a way where you challenge them with a moral issue, mm -hmm. and if that moral issue is committed by the high school principal, the track coach, the uh, sheriff department, well, they will be on that like ugly on ape. Mm -hmm. But if it is a Mormon leader, mm -hmm. they give a huge amount of leeway yeah. because they are, I was told they're living a higher standard a different law and we don't know what all is going on uh -huh. and when i watched a rational human being tilt his head and say well that's what the prophet did and it was okay that's what really scared me to the core as well as kathy mm -hmm. yes that's true so they they are under different standards Absolutely. of behavior and morality than the regular membership you wrote that the practice of polygamy and polyandry are the foundation, are foundational to Mormonism as taught by Joseph Smith, yet never once was there a vote ever taken uh, of the Mormon females or Emma Smith, Joseph's wife, whether they should start or stop polygamy. And that's true. They were treated as mere pawns in the male power trip game. Mm -hmm. And that also remains true in today's polygamy groups. Mm -hmm. So my question is... Could the women expect the leadership to allow their opinion on polygamy, on the polygamy issue, if and when it's reinstated in the future? And is it accurate to say the LDS Church will reinstate it sometime in the future? Some of them are denying that's true now. They are. I believe that, um, I don't know that they will bring it back on the earth because it is against the law. So I don't believe that they will bring that back. But it does say in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, that it will return in heaven, that the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, that that involves polygamy. Mm -hmm. And to become a God of the highest degree of glory within the Doctrine and Covenants, that you have to become, you have to have um, plural marriage, mm -hmm. the plurality of wives. So do you believe that if it is reinstated on the earth, because it, the state is moving towards legalizing polygamy now, yes, as is. we speak. Oh, I didn't if realize If it becomes that. legal and they bring it back, will they take a vote of the women? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. It, they will decide. The brethren will decide. <laughs> the brethren There's will decide. There's not a vote. It's the brethren will decide. Okay, that's yes. interesting, isn't it? Somebody asked the question, when, when the God supposedly came to mm -hmm. Joseph Smith and told him to practice polygamy, why didn't he come to Emma and mm -hmm. tell her? Yes. I mean, she's part of this deal. Emma mm -hmm. didn't know about the first six or eight, I'm not sh exactly sure the number, but mm -hmm. she did not know about the first several wives she that didn't. Joseph Smith had. She absolutely didn't. And the laws of the priesthood that are stated in the Doctrine and Covenants section 132, verse 61, states that the number one law is that the first wife must give her permission. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up in the church um, as, a, as a woman, we would have Relief Society meetings and we would joke around and we would say, well, you know, when I get to heaven my, and when I have my world, I'm not 
going to allow my husband to practice polygamy because he has to get my permission first, as stated within mm -hmm. Scripture. Right, right. And so we said, we'll just say no. I'll just say no. Sorry, you can't have another wife. And we, none of us were for polygamy. None of us were Not one, to one do single it. woman stood up and said, I can't wait to have sister wives, and mm -hmm. I just can't wait. Oh, my goodness. So, mm, that's weird. <laughs> but the well, first. So, Kathy, law how was big. Uh, let's talk about how big of an issue polygamy was for you. You were, you were taught that you'd be required, required to share your husband in, sometime in the future or, or for sure in heaven. Did you, and you discussed this with your LDS um, uh, female friends, and they didn't like the idea of it either. When, when your husband began to ask questions, about Joseph Smith's immorality. Your bishop said something to you that really crushed, really crushed uh, you in what he said. T yes. Tell us about that. Well, when Lee and I went into the bishop's office and were asking questions, first it was Lee. Lee was asking harder questions than I was. And it was kind of like a warning that he gave to Lee. He said, Brother Baker, he said, you need to stop asking these questions Amen. because do you know that we can find a wife for Kathy? If you leave, then we can find, oh, not a, not a, a wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. <laughs> we can find a husband for Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was like a threat. And I said, Do, you would think that I would leave my husband if he left Mormonism? And he said, well, I would think that you would want to stay in the church and we could find you somebody, Kathy. Oh, my goodness. And that was mm. devastating oh to me. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I'm sure it was devastating to both of you. It that, was. That and it he was, would all, just, all, just do that. Absolutely. In, 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 in subtle ways. Those type of threats had been given to me uh, on a private uh, level several times. And it wasn't until I brought Kathy in. In Doris, it was the hardest thing I did was sit in the room begin these questions and then I kept my mouth shut. I wanted Kathy to go to the very edge of her spiritual and emotional ties and see how the church uh, would react. And, and in our ministry to Mormons now, as sad as it is, we know that the leadership of the church, they eat their own. They'll mm -hmm. turn on they their do. own in a heartbeat. So sometimes with members or people who don't believe what we say and we teach only from Mormon doctrine and Mormon scriptures, we turn them around and we ask them, please talk to your bishop or your mission president or your Relief Society president. And they will do, I know, I've never met these people, but I know they will turn on them like they turned on us. And they try to make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. They discuss The guilt trips. Exactly. Oh, yes. They say, why would you study such a disgusting and vile principle as that? And I would say, that's the point. <laughs> Is it more vile and disgusting to do it or to question the fact that my leaders did it. Mm -hmm. And the trail of truth is there. Mm -hmm. Rarely have I ever been lied to by anyone in the Mormon church because the trail of truth is there. When we witness to Mormons about polygamy, we use only Mormon scriptures and Mormon right, documents. Right. And when we open up examples like the Doctrine and Covenants student manual that we keep with us on the 132nd section intro where it says background, mm -hmm. it gives the history in black and white, printed by the church, approved by the First Presidency. It relays the story where Hiram had to take that revelation to Emma right. to get her approval. Mm -hmm. And in the manual it says, then Joseph, you will have peace. 
well, why would Joseph not have peace if yeah. it wasn't from the Lord? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she, of course, rejects it, throws it in the fireplace. Fire where it belonged. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And then Hiram comes back to Joseph and says, I've been beat up by your wife and she won't listen. And Joseph Smith says, I told you I she told wouldn't. told you so. <laughs> and that story is in the yeah. history of the church, yeah. available in every church library. But if you talk about it, it's anti-Mormon. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it is. It's, it is totally amazing. Now, you, to, you brought about these three laws of the Doctrine of Covenants, 132. I'm going to ask you about those. The three conditions that's under the heading of the Law of Doctrine and Covenants, 132, verses 61 and 64, that's required for a member of the priesthood if he wants to take plural wives. Those three conditions are, first of all, she must be a virgin. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith never followed that. Second, the first wife is to give her consent. And the third one is that she is to be vowed to no other man. Explain why they bothered you, these three conditions, and what happened when you verbalized your questions about that. Well, the, the overwhelming fact was that, again, using only church documents, when I pointed out to the stake president that on LDS.org, you could go to the Joseph Smith papers and track that very issue. There is a book review by BYU, uh, Neela A. Maxwell Institute, of Todd Compton's book. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe all mm-hmm. of Todd Compton's book. And give them the name of the book. Todd Compton's book is In Sacred Loneliness. Mm-hmm. And it, w- it won the Mormon History Book of the Year. Mm-hmm. So it quite clearly is not anti-Mormon. It was touted as the most researched and referenced book on the wives of Joseph Smith. Within that book, he gives credit for Joseph of men, 11 women who were previously married. The church disagrees with that. The church says only eight. When I read that... One or eight or 11, what's the difference? Does it make a difference? So visually, (laughs) as a man, to think that Joseph Smith went door to door and asked the women to be his plural wife and not to tell the husband Mm -hmm. to keep it secret, that was utterly disgusting when you see the pictures and the printing of Joseph Smith with a starry look in his eye as he's preaching to the young women or he's preaching to the Relief Society. In fact, we point out in the book that when the Relief Society was organized, there were uh, one-third of the women that were there were his his wives, wives. Mm -hmm. and they didn't know it between right. each other. That's right. It's a beautiful and painting. And Emma didn't know it either. Emma did not know and it And that was well. in our Relief Society manual, that picture of Joseph organizing the first Relief Society yeah. with those women. Uh-huh. And it was all to keep watch on it. So it's just, actually, it was yes. a spying organization when the Relief Society was first organized, to spy on each other, to keep the secret. Oh. That's what it was all about from the very beginning. Amazing. Interesting. So, Kathy, you said when you find out that Joseph Smith broke all three of those priesthood polygamy laws that we just have been talking about here, You felt betrayed. Why did you feel betrayed? I felt betrayed because he was a prophet that I looked up to, that I believed that the prophet of God could not lie. If he was receiving revelation from God, it was God's words out of his mouth. And and he did not take those words. He he did not practice what he preached. preached. So what God told him to write, he did not practice. Mm-hmm. He did not ask Emma about the first few wives, and I felt very betrayed because I felt like, well, when I get to heaven and have my world, well, will I be able to ask my husband, or will he just practice plural marriage? And right then and there, I decided he'll just be able to start practicing. If the prophet didn't ask his wife, why would my husband, mm-hmm. a priesthood holder, bother to ask me? That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and also... Um, 
I don't recall that I read this in your book, but, but when the Smoot hearings came about and they were asking that very question about asking the first wife, they, they said, what happens if the first wife said no? And the answer was, well, then she says no. But then can the man still marry the other woman? Yes, he will still marry her he, because the, the first wife now is out of order for saying no. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea that to ask the first wife is moot, right? Yeah, it means nothing, he it said. Does. I think it was Joseph F. Smith that said that. He did, on the stand. And, and, and now, you quoted in your book a quote from Orson Pratt, mm -hmm. uh, that, from The Seer, which I, I'm going to quote. It'll go up on the screen for our viewers to go along with us as we read it, but I think it's a very interesting quote. And this is what he said. Quote, Convince us of our errors of doctrine, if we have any by, if we have any, by reason, by logical arguments, or by the word of God, and we will be ever grateful for the information, and you will ever have the pleasing reflection that you have been the instruments in the hands of God for redeeming your fellow beings from the darkness which you may see enveloping their minds. Now, Orson Pratt was a prophet. He, he wasn't the leader of the church, but he was considered a prophet and a, a seer. Right. Okay. Now, this is an invitation way back then to do precisely what we're doing here on this show today and what you did when you wrote your book. But what happens when we take them up on that invitation and we offer to point out the errors of Mormonism and compare them with the Bible as Orson Pratt did? What happens to us? They turn on you with a vengeance. As a matter of fact, in the last conference, President Uchtdorf issued, in a manner of speaking, that same challenge again. He said, welcome back to the church, come back to the church. President Uchtdorf, second counselor to the uh, uh, prophet, Spencer, De I mean, Thomas S. Monson, who, by the way, is in my line of authority, removed by only one man. Mm. And he asked, he said, that there have been things done and said by the leadership of the church mm -hmm. that were not in harmony with the teachings of the gospel. Yeah. And that maybe was part of the reason why people left. I took that opportunity exactly as you read as an uh, invitation to question those things. I wrote a letter to the First Presidency asking to redo my excommunication as a bishop because I assume that those things that members of the church leadership did and said what that were not in harmony with the gospel is exactly what I had problems with. I said, let's do it again and let's be specific because it's very, not only irresponsible, it's immature to make a half statement like that from the leadership of the church to say, to admit partially, we did things wrong. What things? And who is we? Yeah. Was it the Sunday school president or was it the prophet? Huge difference. Mm -hmm. But as typical in Mormon speak, we do half truth or just partial lies so they can go either direction yes. on the response. Mm -hmm. That's true. Now, Joseph Smith's character, we talk about that a uh, lot on our show and you did in your book and it is very important, I think. Uh, it should be of extreme importance. In fact, Emma's father... <laughs> didn't trust the character of no. Joseph Smith. He didn't no. want her to, to, him to marry her daughter, and so they had to finally elope in order to get married. Um, obviously, he knew something about Joseph Smith's character that the regular membership of the Mormon church and also the polygamy groups don't even take into account. So explain why the character of Joseph Smith matters even today and why is it ignored by his followers? 
I think it matters specifically for today because it reflects the deceit of the leadership of the Mormon Church today. And this is the example. The year I left the church in the priesthood manual, the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, just by chance I was asked to read a section that in the heading was, we can learn Christ-like character by following Joseph Smith. Ooh. Just the title alone, after you know his history, after you know his life, just the title of We Can Learn Christ-like Characters from Joseph Smith, I thought was absolutely amazing. I continued to read in front of the high priest group and in the middle of the section, and I have a copy of this, and anybody could get a copy of this. His cousin is quoted as saying, Joseph Smith was the most godlike man I ever knew and incapable of lying. Oh my goodness. And that's <laughs> fine for his cousin to believe that. I don't know his cousin, and his cousin's not here, but Doris, what scared me is it took a panel of men in my lifetime in Salt Lake to put that quote in a book for me to read. So the reflection of that deceit happens today. Mm -hmm. So it isn't the statement from Joseph's cousin that Joseph was godlike and would not lie. It was the fact that the church presidency authorized that statement mm. to be read by me oh and goodness. millions of others. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, it is. is. The deceit continues. It does continue. And his character is important because it does reflect. Well, Jesus said the, the, a, a bad tree cannot yes, produce good, good fruit. fruit. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, you wrote the fundamental question, one of the fundamental questions in your book was, quote, do the actions, character, and demeanor of Joseph Smith Jr. and the founding fathers of the Mormon Church reflect the actions, character, and demeanor of the Lord Jesus Christ? Which is an awesome question, and everybody should research Joseph Smith's character before they answer the question. Unfor unfortunately, historically, what they've done is they've lowered God's character yes. to their own. In fact, they've even lowered God himself yes. to their own level. What did you think when you began, when you first began discovering Joseph Smith's real character, and you began sharing it with Kathy and friends and family? I mean, his character was much lower than the mainline membership's character as, a, as an aggregate. I've said not only in the book, but to dozens of Mormons, that the average Mormon uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today is much better quality character, integrity, and demeanor than any of the leadership in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they would even consider following them if they if they knew their character today. And I, and I think that you're right. And I also think that the the regular membership of converts in the early church, their character was also better Absolutely. than the leaders. Yes. And they they were. That's why they had to hide what they were doing. That's exactly. Yes. I was just going to say that's why it had to be hidden. And some of the things like that, the trail of truth that I mentioned is uh, within all the scriptures and within their manuals, there is more than enough evidence to give a Mormon reason to pause and question. And I think that's the time when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and lets them know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is the moment when a potential Christian does something or doesn't do something. And normally they don't because of the pressure and the, pressure the, and the fear. Then the family. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, oh, but, the family's horrific. Oh. oh, and the pressure we received. And, and I, we, we know that our outreach to Mormons is a very important and very serious matter. It is. Uh, we've worked with families who have come through divorce or past 
near divorce because of the things we have shared with them. So mm -hmm. we take it very seriously, mm -hmm. but it is amazing how the church does not take that as equally. So they yeah. will dump a man or a woman who seems to be mm -hmm. having a problem very quickly. They'll dump them. That's right. And any doctrine given by Joseph Smith, they act as if he was God, mm -hmm. speaking as a God. And that the character of Joseph Smith, um, yesterday we went to Salt Lake City to witness to people in Temple Square, and there were, um, I went and watched the movie that they have there, and it was different from what they used to show at the visitor center when we were Mormon. Mm -hmm. And it's about Joseph Smith, and they just mm -hmm. paint his character as perfect. And yes, that they do. It was just him and Emma, mm -hmm. not his other wives, and they yeah. just have that twinkle in their eye looking at each other. When his character, when he is saying in the Doctrine and Covenants about plural marriage, that it's a requirement in heaven, and saying that this is a revelation given by God, but yet in Jacob chapter 2 of the Book of Mormon, it contradicts, mm -hmm. because in Jacob chapter 2... It's an abomination. It's an it's abomination. abomination. Exactly. So and when we got to that chapter in our Sunday School class, when we were going to study Jacob chapter 2, yeah. Lee and I were so excited because we said, oh, we will we'll bring the subject up. And within the student manual and within the teacher manual, it said polygamy will not be discussed during this lesson. <laughs> Do not bring it up. Is that right? Yes. Even though that chapter yes. is about that. Oh my goodness. And that was That's the, amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. And so at the end, there's something about helping and serving other people. That's what the lesson dwelt on. But yet, there's so many verses within Jacob chapter 2. I mm -hmm. think it starts in verse 20. And, and other places in the Book of Mormon, too. Right. Yeah. It, it mentions that, but mostly yes. in the Jacob. That's yes. true. That's amazing. And Jacob 3 as well. One, one man and one wife. Mm -hmm. It describes marriage. Mm -hmm. And the Lord says it's abominable that um, they took other wives. They called it a crime. Yes. Mm -hmm. They called it fornication. They called mm -hmm. it adultery. They called it polygamy. Mm -hmm. All those things mm -hmm. in the Book of Mormon, in yes. Mormon Scripture. But then Joseph Smith comes along, and now that you have a modern prophet, isn't that convenient mm -hmm. that God has prophesied to him to start polygamy? Yes. Very convenient it is for so him. Convenient. And an angel from desire. heaven with a drawn sword ready to <laughs> kill him if he doesn't and do it. Emma would be destroyed if she would not allow him to take other wives. And you know, they still do that in polygamy groups today. I grew up knowing I would be destroyed if I refused to practice really? polygamy. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep. That was that is pressure. that yeah. is what they teach the girls in the polygamy group, the destruction. Definitely. Uh, You're under that hand of destruction. Now I and I do believe that the leaders of the polygamy group as well as the Mormon Church, knew the dastardly deeds of, of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young yes. and, and some of these other leaders. But it doesn't bother them. In fact, many polygamists actually end up mimicking many of the things that Joseph Smith and these people did. But my question is, what about the leadership of the Mormon Church? They claim the polygamists are apostates. Hmm. Based on history, it's the Mormon Church that's apostates. They claim, they all claim they're God's only true kingdom. We wonder why the deceit that's been perpetrated from the very beginning doesn't bother these leaders. Why do they enter into the deception themselves and hide the truth of Joseph Smith's character? Why don't they just come clean and start all over again, start new? Money, power, and protection. That was graphically demonstrated to us in Salt Lake yesterday as we were standing in Temple Square and you could see the headquarters of the church several times I wondered why the men who know the scriptures who know the history of the church who know the doctrine are not down at Temple Square why do they put young men and young women on stage 
to make it look like they are representatives of the church. So many times, and with the students we were with, international exchange students, they commented, the most answer that we heard yesterday was, well, I don't know. Oh well, we yes. don't know. Oh, and I, I once think. pointed to the headquarters of the church building, and I said, they know. Why aren't they down here in the pool helping explain? Why do they force this on you? And something that Kathy and I discussed on the way back, Heber C. Kimball once chastised early pioneers, and you know what I'm going to say, Doris, oh, already. Yes. <laughs> he chastised early missionaries by saying, why are you selecting all the pretty ones before you send them to Salt Lake? Don't pick any of them until they come back so we could have our selection. Mm -hmm. Well, when we left Temple Square, we commented, they're very attractive young women, and they're very smart, and they're very talented, but how were they selected for that? They did not represent what I knew in 32 years as the average sister missionary. Mm. Is there a selection process that continues oh, today? Yes. Oh, yeah. They were beautiful young women. Oh, they nice are. Nice figures. They were, they were just very, beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's no as accident. if they chose the very prettiest yeah. ones to be at Temple Square. Yeah. But one of the um, exchange students in our group from Snow College commented and said, for a church that claims to have a living prophet in modern day revelation, they sure don't know a lot. They sure don't know much. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's like uh, Gordon Hinckley when he was asked on Larry King, various right. very questions. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, we don't know much about that. Yeah. And over and over again, that was his answer. Yes. Of course, he did know, but yes. he, was, mm -hmm. he was just telling lies. Even within in the heaven. manifesto, not to mm -hmm. interrupt you, even within the manifesto that the Mormons carry with them that ended polygamy uh, overtly mm -hmm. in, yeah. in 1890, uh, President Woodruff says, I have not been able to find out who was sealed in the temple. Is it possible <laughs> the that the, the president of the church would ask a question yeah. to anyone from a priest to a high priest to a deacon? And they go, well, we don't know, President, yeah. live with it. Yeah, please. Yeah. Not, not, not true. Let's go to the 12th article of faith. Uh, and polygamists also embrace all of the articles of faith of the, the mainstream church. And this is what the 12th article of faith says, and I quote, we believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law, end quote. Now, historically, has Mormonism proven that they believe they should obey, honor, and sustain the law? Unless not, it's just convenience. <laughs> not historically. Today, yes, I believe Mormons are very honest people. But historically, no. They historically. practiced polygamy, and that is why they got kicked out of Illinois, Missouri, and got kicked all the way to Utah, mm -hmm. is because they were breaking the law. And they make it sound and show in the movie at Temple Square that, oh, they're being persecuted and right. driven out, but they are not following the law. They were not following One man for one woman. And it wasn't just polygamy either. Of course, they, 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 Joseph Smith pronounced all marriages void mm -hmm. that were, that for all the Mormon converts and everybody um, that had not been sealed, or I shouldn't, I don't think they were doing sealings yet, but that had not been performed in the Mormon church itself. The which, and it was just his pronouncement of that. It wasn't legally done at all. Right. And that's freed him up to go marry all these married women. Right. Yeah. And he wasn't the only one that married married women, by the way. Brigham Young did also. Yeah, yes. he, he, Zena Huntington is a good example and for that. If I might add one thing, that particular 
article of faith, the 12th article of faith. We had an opportunity to be outside in Temple Square, and that article of faith was selected, among others, to be engraved into stone there in front of the visitor center on the south edge of the temple, in stone. Mm -hmm. And I asked a young sister missionary from Brazil, I said, could you read that again for me? And she read it, and I said, now that is an honest statement. She said, oh, we are very honest, and we are very uh, law-abiding. And I said, do you realize that when that was written by Joseph Smith in 1843 as part of the Wentworth letter, he was breaking the law. Yeah. So when he made that statement, he was breaking that law. But again, my <laughs> question goes back to the current leadership. How and why was that, of all the different aspects of Mormonism, how was that selected to be engraved in stone yeah, and put there for the world question. to see? Yeah, it's yeah. just a facade, of course. Exactly, but and if you don't know the history, it would appear right. that this is a law-abiding group, not well, knowing that there are five federal laws against them. I, I, I might add here, though, however, that at one time, and I'm not sure how it is recently, but at one time, not too long ago, Utah, especially Utah County, mm -hmm. was the highest incident of white-collar crime in the nation. No kidding. We have the highest incident of teenage pregnancies, highest incident suicide. of suicide, highest incident of, of teen mm -hmm. rape. That's not law-abiding. I'm sorry. And polygamy groups, uh, they, they, like I said in the beginning, they follow all of Joseph Smith's doctrines as if they were given yesterday. And they don't abide by any law unless it's good for them to do so. I mean, really, they, they believe in breaking the law if it's against whatever they think they should be doing. And then they say, that's God's law. The leadership does. Mm -hmm. And what the church continues the to leadership do. exactly mm -hmm. they they put on stage like they did Kathy and I we would go to different conferences because we were uh, youth group leaders within the Mormon church and I was a convert I used to be Catholic so I was a success story mm -hmm. where yeah. uh, you know mm -hmm. went from being a Catholic to being a bishop so we were used and we didn't mind because we were good Mormons but they didn't put any of the senior leadership on stage which is amazing that this is the face of Mormonism yeah. that they like to show you yeah. and that was I guess the campaign I'm a Mormon now they never mm -hmm. showed any of the leadership of the church uh, as I'm a Mormon and this is why they would pick the African-American the Latino yes. the biker gang mm -hmm. a person who may look bisexual just look like it they should bring a polygamist up there and exactly say I'm a Mormon. exactly because <laughs> they're following the doctrine they're that the following Mormons the Mormon doctrine church every week that's right but absolutely don't, but don't believe they say they don't believe in but they do that's it's right it's been suspended it's, yeah they believe in well actually Turley uh, he said yes we went in Sweden when they had right. that that um, confrontation mm -hmm. fireside chat in Sweden, uh, he had finally admitted, pressured to admit, that yes, the Mormons still do believe in polygamy, they just don't practice it. Right. Well, they he do in the temple, said though. That. In the temple, yeah. we know they do. Right. Now, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to put it on screen for our, very quickly, for our viewers, Doctrine and Covenants 1835 original, mm -hmm. and then uh, mm -hmm. compared with the Doctrine and Covenants in 1876. So this is the first section of, of section 101 of the Doctrine and Covenants of 1835, and I quote, inasmuch as as this Church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy. Notice it said crime. 
We declare that we believe that one man should have but one wife and one woman but one husband except in the case of death when either is at liberty to marry again. Now obviously this statement is embracing monogamy, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. yes. and that the, uh, was the only mode for marriage for the Mormons. Now section 132 in 1876 says this, quote, if any man espouse a virgin and desire to espouse another and the first give her consent, and if he espouse the second and they are virgins and have vowed to no other man, then he is justified, he cannot commit adultery for they are given unto him. Obviously, this is embracing polygamy. Right. For Now, the first one was embracing monogamy only. Now, there's the option of polygamy. What happened when you discovered that in your duties as a bishop that you were using a different version of the Doctrine and Covenants than they were using in the early church? I actually became physically upset the Sunday morning that I went into the church library and pulled the volume from the history of the church and read it in a church building with little children running back and forth and students and teachers getting chalk and erasers and manuals and it was a beautiful Sunday morning and there on a the counter I pulled out that uh, copy of the church history mm -hmm. and read that and I knew that at no point in time was that ever a valid statement. Yeah. That was a lie. Yeah. So the fact is, is both Doctrine and Covenants section 101, verse 4, 1835, and section 132 in total have never had any effect on polygamy. They didn't follow the first one, right. and they certainly didn't follow the second one. So the point mm -hmm. is that you could look in a manual, a church manual, and prove that this doctrine was not published until 1876, so it was in fact secret, and it had right. no impact on anyone's life. The only impact, Doris, that that had is uh, President Taylor, when he was on his mission in England, uh, built flyers based on Doctrine and Covenants section 101 verse 4 to convince English converts we do yes. not practice polygamy. Yes. But when they got to Salt Lake, the surprise hit them. The surprise hit every, everyone. In fact, mm -hmm. incredible. Oh it in is any incredible. other aspect of life, we could call that a lie. But when I speak, but not in Mormonism, not, not in, Mormonism. in Mormonism. That no. word cannot cross your lips. Yeah, they say, why are you saying these anti-Mormon things, or why are you reading anti-Mormon literature? It's not anti-Mormon if it happened in American history. If we say um, um, the Trail of Tears and different things that we don't like in our history. That's not anti-American. Right. It is history. That's what happened. It's American history. This is Mormon history. So what do you say to someone who, who, who says, but that was in the past. <laughs> Joseph Smith is a man who made errors subject to errors just like we are. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're talking about now is Mormon history. What do you say to them? Had a chance to do that yesterday. Yes. We're at the Family History Library at Salt Lake, and I had a good friend from Congo with me, and of course he was black, and we were asking about the uh, ban on the priesthood and how the church had just issued a letter stating that the church officially did not know why, how, or when the practice of restricting the blacks from the priesthood got started. Mm -hmm. So that is on the web. Anyone can look it up right now on the web, lds.org, Race and the Church. The title of the document is Race and the Church, and within that document it says, we don't know how, we don't know why, and we don't know when that got started. And we yeah. asked this gentleman uh, about that, and he said, he used the phrase you just used, that was in the past, we need to get over it. 
And I said, so if something like that is in the past, that teaching is in the past, we should get over it. He said, precisely. And I said, so the teachings of Brigham Young, in the past. The teachings of Joseph Smith, in the past. The teachings of Jesus Christ, in the past. What is not in the past? Yeah. And he was befuddled. He could not answer a thing. It is a yeah. statement that they use quite often it to is. say it, it is in the past. I hear it a lot. And I used to say that the teachings of King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon is in the past. Is in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's absolutely true. I got an email from a viewer one time who, on this very subject, castigating me because I kept bringing up Joseph Smith's errors, and he said, "You are in trouble." because you aren't forgiving Joseph Smith and you need to forgive him and move on. Well, Joseph Smith's dead, you know. It's not a matter of forgiving him or not, but we, how are we supposed to tolerate false doctrine and double standards like we are expected to tolerate uh, regarding Joseph Smith and all the early Mormon leadership as well as today's leadership who are going along with the deception and the polygamy group leaders who also know, they all know yes. that they're living a deceit right. and that yes. they're covering up. And talking about in the past, we just got back from Israel and it w they're proving that the Bible is accurate. Mm -hmm. And the Mormons in their eighth article of faith say we believe in the, Bi the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Mm -hmm. We were with an archeologist and he assured us that the Bible has been translated correctly, mm -hmm. that they have over 15,000 copies and they match up. There yep. might be a difference in a word of but or however. And the, so the, the Bible is accurate. And within the Bible it says one man for one, right. one woman and one man mm -hmm. for marriage. That mm -hmm. is how it is described. That's right. And so then when people start making up their own scripture, it's conforming to how, how they want it to go. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not from God. And, 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 and then what they did, as we talked about earlier, is they, then they brought God, Jesus, Lower. down to their level yes. and made Jesus a polygamist. Right. Even They've even made God a yes. polygamist. Yes. And that's the core element of why Christians teach Mormons. That's the core element why you and I are here today. Because people have asked us exactly the same question. Why don't you leave us alone? Yeah. Why don't you let us believe what we believe? And the answer for Lee and Kathy Baker is very simple. Because they are teaching what they believe to be not the gospel of Gandhi, not the gospel of Winston Churchill. Yeah. They proclaim it to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. And as a believer of Jesus Christ, we cannot let that pass. A person exactly. who follows Jesus Christ cannot let that blasphemy, that offense go without an answer. And that's it is all, blasphemy. Absolutely. It is. And that's all we are simply doing. If yeah. they say this is the gospel of Joseph Smith, they will never Fine. hear mm -hmm. from us again. And that's what I say to the polygamists who, who complain about what I'm doing here is um, they, 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 they wonder why, why can't we live? We have the right to live how they, yes, they have the right to live what they want, but don't say God said so. Exactly. That's my beef with them is because they said, Joseph Smith, with Joseph Smith, my beef right. is with Joseph Smith, that he said God said, and God didn't. No, no. not at all. It and that, that brings the truth. We've got to bring the truth, because that's what God yeah, told us to do. And for matters. all the potential Mormons who watch your great program, who consider the idea that there is something wrong, they need to act on that, because the life you have potentially 
from behind the curtain of Mormonism is awesome. When you can worship Christ and learn about Christ mm -hmm. from behind mm -hmm. the people like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and the doctrines of the church, when it's just you and Christ, it's amazing. It is mm -hmm. absolutely. It is just freeing because as a Mormon, whether you believe these things or not is not the question. The church didn't join you. You, you joined, joined the, the church. church. Mm -hmm. So if these things are true and taught, then they are part of your life, part of your responsibility as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You mm -hmm. cannot select, as Kathy and I used to do, well, we don't feel good about that. Well, we don't feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And we don't believe that history. It is all real, and it's there. So it is part of the badge of Mormonism. Yeah. Uh, quickly, there's something I want to ask you. Um, they, Gordon Hinckley came out and said that they worship a different Jesus. He acknowledged yes. that yes. they worship yeah. a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible, than yes. the traditional Jesus. And yet I hear people say, well, it's really the same Jesus, you know. I mean, we call him Satan's brother, but he did die on the cross for our sins, and he did the miracles, and so we believe in the same Jesus. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't. The Bible tells us there's different Jesus. Even Jesus said there'd be different false Christs. Right. What do you say to that when they say, well, it really is the same Jesus? When you believe that Jesus or God was once a man and that as a man you can become a God, that is a different Jesus Christ than the Christians believe in. That is not the Christ of Christianity. It, it's not saying that it's just a different aspect of God, like maybe saying that, that somebody said your eyes are brown instead of blue, but it's still you. It's mm -hmm. totally different because they believe that they can become a God. So if they can become a God, that's multiple gods. We asked at the Visitor Center yesterday, how many gods do you believe in? And they said one. But I said, <laughs> then one of the students said, but if you believe you can become a god, then that's multiple gods. And they said, we don't believe we can become gods. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Mormons don't believe that. So even the sister missionaries do not know. They're not taught. You don't know what you don't know. Um, you don't know what you don't know, which I thought was very good in, in your book. But there, there are so many things going on now where, where the church is trying to bring out, be, be, I think they're pretending that they're being more transparent when really they're just covering up more, mm -hmm. uh, just bringing out enough to make it look like they are, but they're really not. Uh, but but it's, that's even more dangerous, I think, um, than, than the way they were because when you could bring the Bible into it, and say God said and then lie? Yes. What is that doing? What is that doing to the Mormon, the Mormon's mind? I, I think it undermines their ability to rationalize what is real and what is not, but praise be to God, I think this generation, the younger generation of Mormons, are a little bit wiser than the group I grew up with. They know that there is a, an element of truth in the internet that mm -hmm. points them to their own scriptures and points them to questions. And this generation doesn't seem to live with the answer, don't worry, yeah. move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and the internet is having a big uh, impact on these people and potential Mormons who are seeking whether to join or not. They're finding, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Absolutely. And, and there's great assets out there. We work with two great ministries, Tri Grace Ministry mm -hmm. and Witnesses for Jesus uh, out of Colorado Springs. And yeah. the number of Mormons who move forward is awesome. 
Okay, well, yes. we're at the end of the show. I want to thank you both so much. We could take another hour to do this, but thank you so much thank for, you. for joining thank you for us. Having us. You know, we've just listened to another story of a couple who left Mormonism because they discovered that something was dreadfully wrong with the basic doctrines, behavior, and the strategy of the early Mormon church as introduced by Joseph Smith. And as our guest pointed out, why is the standard expected of Mormon leadership so much lower than the standards that they themselves expect from their membership? Why is Joseph Smith's immoral behavior rationalized and marginalized and justified simply because he was their leader? Why shouldn't he be held to a higher standard rather than be accepted at such a significantly lower standard? We can look at polygamy leadership of the FLDS and the Kingstons and the LeBarons and others and discover law-defying practices that would never be tolerated in the ranks of the regular membership. Why is that? And worst of all, early Mormon leaders placed the blame of their ungodly behavior on God. They claimed God commanded polygamy, that God commanded that they marry other men's wives, that God commanded blood atonement, God cursed the blacks, and on it goes. And people make excuses for this nonsense. Where is the honor? Where is the truth? Where is Jesus in all of this? We are thrilled that the bakers found the truth and found that narrow way that Jesus prepared for us rather than that other way that Joseph Smith prepared. And we do urge all of our viewers who are watching our show to take the truth test, compare all of early Mormonism to what Jesus taught and decide for yourself. Should you be following Joseph Smith or Jesus Christ? Because it's impossible to follow them both at the same time. Thank you and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.